Max Verstappen wins the 2021 Formula One World Championship with a controversial win in Abu Dhabi. Michael Massey is as clear as mud in his race direction, and Oscar Piastri wins the F2 Championship, making it three championships in a row for the young Aussie. All this and more in the final race review episode of the Racing Line podcast. Well, 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 well. Good evening, boys. <laughs> Good evening, mate. Love How it. How are we going? How are we going? Don't we have a, a few things to talk about tonight? Uh, listeners, good evening. Welcome to the latest episode of the Racing Line podcast. Um, after the final race of the 2021 Austra- uh, Australian Formula One World Championship, it's been a long season, but everything seemed to have peaked uh, at this last race. If you haven't yet watched the race, we're talking about the final race of the season that took place uh, last night, early hours of this morning as well. Uh, at the Yas Marina circuit in Abu Dhabi, where Max Verstappen um, claimed his first world championship against Lewis Hamilton. Boys, do we really need to talk about the race? Um, if you haven't watched the race... We only need to talk about the race today. <laughs> if you haven't watched the race, go and watch it. You might want to watch go on Foxtel and just watch the recap race because I think the vast majority of it is going to be a Mercedes pulling away from a Red Bull. However, when... Three times. However, when push came to shove, um, Verstappen was able to to get the job done with a, a much newer set of tyres. So I don't know. Do we want to just do a, Harry? Do you want to just give a brief, a brief blurb on the direction of the race, just for those people that might not have watched it and aren't really interested in watching it? Yep. Um, ad hoc. Uh, good start by Lewis. Actually, rapid. Um, yeah. Got Max really on. on- Got Max on the mediums. Max was on the um, he was on the softs, which was I thought he'd be able to at least pull away over the first ten laps or so. Um, but then Lewis, you know, I think we said it was turn four. There was a bit of a bit of an incident between the two. Lewis seemed to have got a lasting advantage by going off the track, but I think this is an incident we'll discuss more in depth very very shortly. Um, and then from there, Lewis just pulled away, and the the race was kind of in. In three sections, I think it was the start, the start phase, the middle phase was very. Um, I think Boring. the highlight was the highlight was there Perez is. and um, Hamilton fighting for for that P one position after Lewis pitted, and then obviously the uh, shenanigans that happened at the end, which we'll get into. Um, We've got. I like how Max you, winning. I like how you've broken it down into the three phases. So let's maybe just jump straight into. Those three phases there, or even before we get into that, firstly, just um, what were your opinions on qualifying, particularly with how fast Verstappen was to get almost a half a second advantage going into the race? It's probably a little bit unrealistic. There was a bit of a toe, but even with a toe, half a second is a lot. Um, Yeah. And it kind of gave us a little bit of an unrealistic expectation for what the race was going to hold, I thought. Yeah, agreed. And I think McLaren managed to do it as well with Lando getting into P3. He was um, getting the toe from Daniel. Um, so it, it seemed to have a decent effect. But even Lewis said, I think, after quali that even if he did get the toe from from VB, he wouldn't have matched um, that half a second. So it was a that's obviously, you know, three or four tenths from the toe. And then Max just being Max getting the, the extra tenth or so. It was just an awesome lap. 
Well, I think we'll go straight into um, phase one of the race, which was the start. Um, as Harry said, um, Verstappen really had a shocking start, just had no traction coming off the line. Um, Hamilton had him, I think, within the first 100 metres or so, so it wasn't really much of a battle. And it seemed like Perez had to almost lift off a little bit just to keep Verstappen ahead of him. Um, and then going into the um, the hairpin at the back of the circuit, Hamilton held the lead. And then moving, it was I said it was um, turn four, but it was actually turn five, I'm pretty sure. Heading into turn five, Verstappen makes a really audacious lunge from a long way back. Um, gets up the inside of Verstappen, uh, of Hamilton, kind of leaves Hamilton nowhere to go. Hamilton runs off the escape road and rejoins the race with quite an advantage and then um, doesn't redress the position. And to cut a long story short, race direction seemed to think that he did enough to kind of give the time back. And I want to know what you guys initially thought about that particular manoeuvre. Again, if you're if you're listening on and you haven't watched the highlights, you might just want to do it because um, what we're talking about are fairly distinctive sections of the race um, and you probably want to see what they are. So, boys, Joey, what was your initial take of the phase one of the race, the incident? Um, my initial take was I couldn't understand why he didn't redress. And yeah. I think that was sort of like everyone. I mean, it was it was a he was left no room. But then what what changed my mind was when I watched the onboard. And I think when you watch the onboard, you well, you, you see him come right up to the side and then. I'm pretty sure Hamilton didn't even see him make the corner because by the time, like he pulls that car up so late, I mean, um, number one, he had nowhere to go. And number two, I don't think he knew that he made the corner. And um, when race control then said that he, they were happy with how he let the, the time come back. I mean, either it's it's their prerogative to tell him to redress the spot and I don't think he, like he should himself have redressed it because I don't think he saw it but in I mean I'm, I'm not disappointed in it now in hindsight but at the time I was definitely a bit shocked um but man I could not believe he pulled that thing up to be honest that was insane what about you That's H it. um well, look you know my thoughts on the whole Brazilian incident um I think Max has been pulling these stupid moves for the last three or four weeks um, obviously, I feel he's making up for the for the lack of pace in the car compared to the Merc. Um, it was a, a lunge out of nowhere. I didn't think he was ever going to make the corner without there kind of being either contact or something happening. In saying that, though, Lewis did get a massive lasting advantage, I feel. Like, they were head-to-head in the corner, and then Lewis was one and a half, two seconds up the road after taking the shortcut. So, for me, it was a bit of, um, I think that might have been a compromise with the FIA you know, instead of punishing Max, they just let let it play on kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. What do you think, Ant, about the um, about the lunge? Do you think? I don't know what they were. I don't know what they were going to punish him for, though. I mean, I, when I was watching it, I mm. in live time, I I could not believe that he didn't um, run it. Like I couldn't believe he pulled the car up. That was the first thing that I thought was mm. very impressive. But then, <laughs> trying to be objective about it. Mm. If we're going to, or if race direction is going to have an issue with a move like that, where he does stop the car, well, I don't, I don't see how that's racing anymore. I mean, I mean, yeah, it was in a position where if Hamilton turned in, 
to the corner as normal. He was going, there was going to be contact. But if we think about realistically, anytime there's an overtaking move going into a corner, if the person who's being overtaken doesn't realize the scenario and just turns in as per normal, there's always going to be contact. So for any, you know, overtaking maneuver to take place, there's always got to be, you know, um, two parts that are playing the game. So from that point of view, I, I didn't really understand the move. I think that Hamilton did the right thing by not making contact, obviously, for his championship hopes. So obviously, there was a little bit of that there. I think the point that Joseph made was really quite interesting. I didn't think about that. But Hamilton very well could have thought, just based on the speed that um, Verstappen came into the corner, that there was no way he was going to stop the car. But I think then the prerogative is on on the race direction to to let them race, Number one, no contact was made. It was a dicey move, but I think, you know, I was trying to think today about some some other situations where there were these outlandish moves that were made and kind of, I think back to China when Daniel Ricciardo um, overtook Botas coming into corner five, into that hairpin down there as well, you know, on the inside next to no room to make the move and kind of just stuck it in there. Um and I think it's a very similar situation to that. If Botas turns in on his normal line, there's contact. Obviously, he doesn't. So I don't know. I feel like they got it wrong there. Um, and I don't think that Hamilton did anything wrong. I don't think anyone did anything wrong. I just think that race direction should have said, listen, he made the corner. You know, it was his track because obviously he made the corner. And and, and I, I don't understand where they were taking that that time from. So if he had to give, if he had to be within 1.2 seconds of, if Hamilton and Verstappen had to be within 1.2 seconds at the end of the lap, which is where FIA said they took it from, I think they I measure it from. I the don't know when they were measuring the it from. Zone. Well, it, well, then you you can make that particular argument in 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 any you know slightly outlandish overtake, and there's there's definitely a few of them that we watch. I want to um, say I want to say one thing. I think that Max's previous history, recent history with these overtakes hurt him in this instance. I do, because it looked eerily similar to, to his runoffs recently. And um, the only thing that looked different was the fact that he pulled it up. So I think that came, they factored that in as well, whether that's right or wrong. I mean, I think every race should be judged off its own merits, not like pulling stuff from other races as well. But I think um, it's so fresh on the minds of everyone involved that I think that had to come in, that had to come into play hundred percent. It would have to come into play. Um, having said that, I mean, the best, probably the best part of it, of it was that there was no contact and um, what you said about the desperation of getting in front because uh, everyone knew that the race pace of that Mercedes was so strong. I mean, that could never be understated. And I'm pretty sure that, Red Bull knew that just as much as um, anyone involved when they were getting into that race, well, as in, why, why would you do it? And then coming from that, every time that Mercedes got clear air, it was just pulling. So, I mean, it's probably a little yeah. bit of all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I also... Think, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry mate. Just quickly, also think if you look at the him entering the, the corner, he wasn't even close to the apex or anything. He was kind of like went in straight and then managed to pull it up and turned almost 90 degrees. I think that's what they kind of had the issue with. If he'd kind of made it a bit more of a seamless turn into the corner, but yeah. It was a disgusting think, arc. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, 100%. I think Lewis had the racing line and he's kind of cut across him and then turned kind yeah. of thing. And I think that's what the what the issue was. Not so much that he was a, it was a late lunge. I really didn't have a, like in hindsight, I don't have a problem with, with, with how they deemed to mm. judge it, to be honest. Would um, you have had a problem if he didn't win the championship though? No. No. Would it have would it have had it raised any questions with you? Would have I would have been I would have I would have it would have raised concerns, but I think what I said before that his um recent driving definitely had to come to play into it because it's it's yeah. it's not it's not even if you the more you look at it the more you realize how much of an unconventional overtake it is like it, it's it's um, it is. It's really, it really is um, body line. It's like really touch and go. Like if if Hamilton is not aware, he like and and he makes contact, and he, and Hamilton makes contact. That's a Verstappen problem. It's not a Hamilton problem. If you think about it, yeah, I love him or hate him. I think I I I don't know. I kind of admire his tenacity. To be honest with you, a little I love, bit. I honestly, I, mean, I didn't have a problem with this one like the other ones there. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we're having an argument. I think it's, it's no. I think it's, it was a pretty interesting. And you know, I think at the end of the day, whether he makes the move or not, within five laps and a bit of DRS, I think the Mercedes would have got ahead again. Like just thinking objectively about the pace yeah. of those two cars. So I don't, in hindsight, like you said, I don't know if it had a such a dramatic impact on the race. But the only thing that I would say is, if like the point you make about race direction. Um, thinking about previous situations to, to adjudicate this one, I don't know if I don't. I think I might have an issue with that because realistically, we want every you know maneuver judged on its own merits. And obviously, it's hard not to be jaded when you've seen those kind of things happening. But regardless, interesting move, tenacious move, you know, interesting reaction to that. I don't think it really had you know much of an impact on the race though, um, which probably leads us to. The phase, the second phase of the race, which was phase two, uh, a little bit of a snooze festival, honestly, I'll have to say. Um, with the race starting at what was it, midnight, eleven o'clock? Yeah, midnight. Midnight. The race starting at midnight, and you know, pushing one o'clock. I kind of was debating whether or not to go to sleep because it seemed <laughs> that the Mercedes um, definitely had the legs on the Red Bull. Um, and, and it wasn't even close. We saw Verstappen make a, you know, the first pit stop to try to get some undercut. And even after that, it didn't seem to be, you know, much of an advantage at all. Red Bull kept Sergio Perez out, which was probably the only bit of adrenaline during that middle phase of the race. And to be honest with you, his, his defense on Verstappen, on Hamilton, was nothing short of remarkable. Got overtaken, or he he did a really good job blocking to begin with. Got overtaken, you know, reclaimed first place with a much older set of tires. Oh. So I don't think Red Bull really could have asked a whole lot more from him. Um, he he gave Verstappen five seconds on that second lap of keeping up Lewis Hamilton, which is <laughs> which is really what Mercedes have wanted from Bottas all year, and and you know I think that probably you know one. Perez some free Red Bull for the next you know ten years of his life, but um, what did you guys make of that second phase? You know, as a whole, in the race, I thought the race was pretty boring. To be honest, like it was very processional. Mm. Um, I think everyone admit, openly admits it. 
And um, I think when, when Harry's been saying that the Mercedes is really strong at Abu Dhabi over the last month, I mean, it was it was really a no contest. Even like when when um, when Verstappen got pole, I was even I was thinking to myself, like I wasn't even that phase. I was like, yeah, okay, he's got pole. He got he should have got pole at the last race as well before he crashed. But just because he's getting pole doesn't mean his race pace is he's on par. Mm. Um, I will say that I thought the job that Checo did was um, was admirable, and it was um, like it, it was. It was definitely the most exciting part of the race up to up until the end, and you know that the job he was doing was hard. But um, in terms of the what bearing it had on the race, unfortunately, he probably didn't have any. Like it was like a cool little stint. Um, gave of, us something of, to talk about, really. Yeah, but other than that, it was just like a he's he's a little he's he's a few crumbs to keep you awake. Um, but but once he got past, it was another another slow pull away. Yeah, the the best thing about that was he managed to get Max back into it within DRS range. Yeah, he um, like he did he, he did all he could do. Hmm. Um, I just think that the pace of that Mercedes was 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 yeah. unrivaled today. I thought Actually, it was crazy that Max caught up to them during the battle, and then as soon as Lewis got past Checo, it was it was gone again. Like, something like yeah. that. I think that's also why um, the first instant didn't really phase me that much because hmm. for the whole race we saw. Like the cars weren't really a match, which we, which in hindsight now you think about the end of the race, and it's like how the hell did they pull this off? Um, I've got to actually before we move into that, I've got a bone to pick with the Red Bull during why? that mid phase because I, you know, this was this really flabbergasted me. So, in all of practice, Red Bull on the that Verstappen hearts. car or the Perez car did not run any hard tire. Do any hard tire running at all? That that is mind-boggling. Going into the biggest race of the year with a fairly obvious disadvantage to Mercedes, you would think that that kind of data would be really, really important. I probably knew that if that, they were running those tires, they had they had no chance. Yeah, but to compound that, that first set of softs that Verstappen was on, they were gone after seven laps. So regardless of the running that they were doing on the softs, they realized that there wasn't a whole lot of meat in that particular set of tires as well. So to do no running at all in, you know, what is it, three and a half hours of practice, even if you don't want to do it on Max's car, get Perez to do some, to have no data to, to use in the race, I thought was astounding. And, you know, maybe you doing a bit more running on it means they can tune up the car a little bit more to make it a bit more competitive. Who knows? But that really, um, you know, was was mind-boggling when I heard that. Do you um, think do you think they got enough data from previous years though? Is that you reckon that's why? Because the track has changed a little bit, but generally the data would be very similar. I they might have. I think real honestly, if we if you think about it, I think they knew that if it came to them running hards, they had no chance. But they honestly. also they also based on based on the strategy that they chose they knew that they were going to have to run the hards for a long period of time. Like that's the other thing. Like, so we, we can make that point if they start on the hards and then move to the softs and maybe do a, you know, two stop soft strategy. But the fact that they started on the softs and then had to run for so long on the hards, um, I don't know. This doesn't make sense. It could have it really could have cost them. 
to be honest with you, because they they were nowhere. On the softs, they were nowhere. On the hards, they were, you know, even less of <laughs> even less of nowhere. I'll say I'll say this in their defence. I honestly like the more I think about it, and the, I've watched the race last night, and then I watched it again when I came home, and I've been listening and watching the reactions and pit lane and stuff. I honestly think that that their whole strategy for this race. And this is weird. I think they they knew that the only chance they had was to keep fresh tires on that car when they could, and wait for safety cars. Mm. Like the more I think about, it, like literally, if you every time, well, when that when that um, the virtual came out, not the safety car, when the virtual came out, boom, they were both in. Not just Verstappen, they were both in for the tires. And then when the other safety car in, straight away, like straight in. Um, I honestly think they were they, they were factoring um accidents to come in at the end of that race because there is a quite a few like that that, that track has a history the of the history of it so, i think they I mean, probably um i think they probably would have backed on max to take the lead off the start and then have perez playing regunner as well yeah but that's i think what we've also discussed is that having that plan is one thing but i don't in terms of just the, the once that Mercedes gets gets some DRS, I don't think you can defend it. I really don't. Yeah, but did, do you also think Max would have come in for fresh tires if Lewis did, or would he have gone I for think, track position? I think uh, the, the thing I, don't, I still don't understand about the whole Lewis thing is why would that why were they so worried about track position because they knew that they could overtake that car so easily. Like if Lewis. If Lewis before, comes in for tyres on both those situations, he's coming out second. So let's do this before we go into fa- that yeah. third phase. There was before a second. I start speculating. Yeah, there was a second. <laughs> there, no, there was a second pit stop. I, I think it would have been around lap thirty-five for Max. Max made the yeah. second pit stop yeah. around lap thirty-five um, for another set of hards. Yeah. Lewis. Is that the Giovinazzi one? Was that the virtual yeah. safety car? No, virtual no. Virtual safety car. Yeah, I it think, was for I the think, virtual safety car. I think Max so, stopped for tyres just for himself at one stage before that. He No, he didn't. He, right. There was the first pit stop that they both did during yeah. racing laps. Uh-huh. And then during the virtual safety car, Hamilton had a set of tyres in pit lane. They chose not to take That's the right. tyres. Yes. Verstappen came in, took the tyres, and seemed to make about eight seconds before he stopped really making any more progress mm-hmm. on Hamilton. Yeah. Although Hamilton was complaining about the tyres. Now, with that being said, I think the fact that after 10 laps or so, Verstappen, you know, was making no more inroads on Verstappen, uh, on Hamilton, you know, might have vindicated that particular decision. But moving into phase three, which is, you know, probably the most important thing to be talking about tonight, um, we have the Latifi crash eight second, uh, five laps before the end of the race. Um Hamilton has a set of tyres. I think they were softs as well. In the pit lane, ready to go on. The team chooses to keep him out on tyres that are going to be close to 50 laps or 45 laps old at that particular time. So even just against um, Verstappen, whose laps are close to t- tyres are close to 20 laps older, once the field bunches up, I thought, he was going to have a significant disadvantage just in that regard. Um they choose to keep him out, and then it seems like, you know, every man his dog has an opinion on what happened then. So, let's go into that. H, give us your synopsis, mate, or your give us your rundown of those particular set of events that took place. 
Um, I'm surprised at the Giovinazzi virtual safety car. They didn't, they didn't bring Lewis in because, as you mm. said, he was complaining quite early on that his rears were going. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, he started. It was a consistent pace, I think, 11 or 12 seconds between him and Max at one point before the Latifi incident. Um, and then I was really surprised. There was a couple of things that he didn't come in um, on the safety car. Um, they were probably worried that Max would get track position, but same thing, you know, the field would have been bunched up two laps or whatever it was. He would have got past him. But I think my biggest gripe with it all is the whole, how race control handled it. Um, how they only let some cars through. I reckon, I reckon we hold that f- for one second. Yep. Um, and then, cause that will be, I think the second stage of, yeah, of phase, this, this, yeah, the yeah. phase four. Um, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know where what Mercedes were thinking by not replacing Lewis's tires throughout the entire race. Yeah, one stop strategy. I don't. I honestly, especially the first one, especially the um mm. the, the virtual safety car, because you, you you don't lose much time at all, and he had such you didn't a lose anything. Yeah, but like like you have a buffer, and you have um and everyone's just crawling around. So like, he would have been sorry in that virtual safety car. I think he was eight seconds ahead of. Verstappen no, during the like first 14, uh, 11 well, if, or 14. If it's more yeah. than 10, if it's more than 10, he keeps his lead. Mm. Yeah. Because they say it's a 10 second delta loss. Yeah. During I the was, virtual safety car. So he would have kept his lead. Yeah. I think it was 14 seconds. So it's really and, enough and, to and, lose. and he knew. And the first thing he said when he crossed the pit line was, we should have pit. Mm. Like Hamilton said that both times, not, not like literally when he passed, like we should have come in for tyres. Um, I think that was. Like regardless of what we're going to talk about at the end of the race, I that think was a mistake. I think that was um, the biggest mistake Mercedes made, and yep. then even even the uh, the other one I think was also a mistake. But if you give him tires that are twenty, uh, what fifteen laps old compared to fifty at the end of the race, he might be able to be better no matter what. Like it's not even a question of um, yeah. if buts or hows. Um, We've got more of a fighting chance, right? That's yeah. what I was going to say. If they pitted him on the Giovinazzi virtual safety car, I reckon he could have held Max behind him. I know Max was quick, yeah, but he was... almost held him behind at, at, with those hard tyres. How long was that virtual safety car for Giovinazzi? Was it two laps? Uh, four two laps. or three. Oh, four the laps. Virtuals, yeah. so you have, sorry, you sorry have, it was less than that. was two laps. You have, yeah. you had, he had a second opportunity mm-hmm. to, to go in for the tyres. That's the other thing that flabbergasted me as well because mm. it's, you have yeah, two I... laps of delta. So even when Verstappen went around, went in, got the mm. pits... He has another lap to just. They have another lap to decide. Yeah, but by the we time can just, we can just mirror this whole. By the lap. time Hamilton was in sector three, they were saying the virtual safety car was going to. He didn't get the second, so he went around. Then by the time he came around to the pit lane again, mm. they were saying that the safety car was going to end. So he had about a lap and a half, and it okay, kind well, of affected him. But even re- regardless, they they had the chance of now. Obviously, in hindsight, we can talk about. What they should have done very easily, and yeah, we're armchair, you know, the, we're yeah, armchair, arm, you know, armchair critics, and they they might have never, you know, they would never would have known that with five laps to go, the field was going to get bunched up. But regardless, they had essentially a free pit stop to make, and they they didn't do that. So that has to be considered a mistake, regardless of what was going to happen towards the end of the race. Just even just to give them a fighting chance, if you got the chance to make the pit stop, you know, you got to do it. Um, you listen, and if you listen to the team comms, because mm. I listened to all Lewis's team yes. comms today. I did today as well. Um, I'm pretty like I would. He was pretty. He he, he was pretty. To... He was pretty adamant that they had made a mistake. Not 
like you could tell that he was peeved that they didn't take yeah. the opportunity of the Titans. Yeah. Um, it was really yeah. So then we go into the more contentious debate, and this might probably take us a little bit of time to unpack, but it's it's a good discussion to have. So with five laps to go, Latifi hits the wall in sector three. We you know, immediately, I think, go into safety car. There was no virtual. There was just straight into no, safety straight car. straight into safety car. Yep, straight into safety car. Um, the field is bunched behind Hamilton. Between uh, Hamilton doesn't make a pit stop for fresh tyres. He doesn't. Um, even though the tyres are ready, there's a. If you listen to the to the radio, there seems to be a quite a strong conversation between himself and Bonington about why they didn't do it. And obviously, Bonington says. Um, we want track position. We want track position. Verstappen goes in for the tyres, has a new set of softs ready to go. Um, and then when they they congest the field, there's you know a few lapped cars between Verstappen and Hamilton. Initially, race control says we're going to go racing, but we're not going to let the lapped cars pass just because of the amount of laps that are left in the race. And then, you know, very late in the lap, it has to be said, they kind of wave through the lapped cars between Hamilton and um, Verstappen, and then none of the cars behind that. With that initial decision, boys, what we, what are your thoughts? I want to start with the first, well, my first thing, I think in hindsight, was the biggest mistake that the Formula 1 have made this year. Well, one of them. Number one, I don't know why we can hear the team principals mm. talking to yep. Michael Massey. I don't think we need to hear that at all. Like literally at all. We don't need to hear it. We don't need to know. We don't need to hear the bickering of these these team principals because they sound like school children, number one. Like it's ridiculous. And that's and that's all year. Um, first and foremost. Secondly, I take, what I, sorry, finish what you're saying. Yeah. And then secondly, I don't think they should be able to talk to Michael Massey in the race period. That's like I heard something on the um the uh WTF one podcast today, and I was like, that's so true. In um when in a soccer game, when you make a bad tackle, the two coaches and the, the two players involved don't go have a conversation with the referee about how they're going to resolve the incident. The referee just makes a decision. And thinking about it in height, like in, in just in general, each each team is going to um, put their their case forward for what's in their best interest. Like there's no um, what's the best for the sport involved in those conversations. Um, so yeah, in, I think that, that that has to be rectified hundred percent. Like that's like from starting from that, that has to be fixed. And yeah. I don't know if, because it's because we're identical twins, but I had exactly the same thought today. I want to like I think moving forward, if you know, if we've learnt anything from the, you know, them displaying the conversations between. Massey and the and the heads of the different F1 teams. It's that it really shouldn't be happening. And I didn't listen to the what the F1 podcast today, but I was thinking about exactly the same analogy, like to the sport. I was thinking about soccer, and and kind of in no other sport do we have like people that are playing the game. A conference that have, of leadership. Yeah, that have vested interest in the game that's being played, influencing the decisions of the referee. So I think that has to be. Um, gotten rid of, and I think that the con the communication between race di- direction and the F1 teams has to become a little bit more of a dictatorship. So if there's going to be any communication, it's from the top down explaining what needs to happen. So for example, let not the driver even, through. Not and even it's not, that. It's not it's, open for debate. It's like if you want if you want something checked, there should be a way that you can like 
hit a button and like some text will pop up or something like that. But having this converse, like number one, the guy's got more important things to do than talk to you. He's got to watch a race in case something else happens. Um, but like, yeah, I mean like, yeah, put, you can make sure you can be able to like say, we want this checked or something like that. But he doesn't have to, like he can say, he can look at it and be like, oh no, that's, um, that's, that's not um, my, like what I would, I would deem appropriate or stuff like that. Because that's his job. Like his his job is to make these decisions. He doesn't need Horner and um and Toto, you know, um, bitching and moaning about it. And then even like at, on that last lap of the race, after the decision is made, why why can we hear Toto on the radio saying like this is not right, Michael, and stuff like this? It's like okay, like wh- why should we be able to hear that if he wants to have a have a com- like you know have have a little bit of a cry? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think my issue is I understand that the race directors for each team, mm. um, or the race engineer, whatever they are, the one that has the direct line to Michael Massey. Mm. Fair enough. They they probably need to discuss things with him. But why have the team principals got a direct line? That's what I don't understand. Why is Toto able to? No, 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 Michael. This is not okay. Like why why has he got the ability to do that? That should only be the other guy whose position it is to control that. Um. And secondly, to defend Mercedes in the, the whole pit stop thing in this, inc- in this instance, they were told at first that they weren't going to let those cars through. So I think that's probably for them. We've got one lap left. We, Max isn't going to go past five cars. And then by the time the decision was made, I think he was past the pit lane. What do you guys no, think? When Max came in, the instant the safety car came out before any of that could could have been decided. Like he was in and out. That's why he was five cars behind. Right? Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is the FIA, Michael Massey said to Mercedes that they weren't letting the cars through. No, I think I think that was well after through the next because, lap. Because he's what I was finding what I found interesting. Hmm. The, well, conven- the convention is you let the cars through. Like that's normal. all the cars though. Yeah, that's normal convention, right? Hmm. So uh, crash happens. Hmm. You have your opportunity to get your tires or stay up, like yep. not like normal. Verstappen takes the tires. Uh, Hamilton stays out, normal. The I think the problem arises for us is because we can hear what race control is saying. Number one, like yeah, ev- yeah. Ev- everyone can hear it. Like hmm. you can imagine these things happening before, but we, we, you're never privy to those conversations. Yeah. Um, like that in itself, I think, has skewed everyone's um, everyone's um, view on it. Yeah, I guess. Um, like literally, like everyone who watches the race has like heard those conversations, like, has heard it and made up their own opinion about what happened as well. And if you if your team Lewis or your team Max, that's going to be skewed either way. Like you think that each driver is going to be getting ripped off. If you're like me, and you just don't care. Um, you, you just you just there listening, having a laugh. Well, if you are if you're if you're non-partisan, like if you're non-partisan to the whole championship, then what did mm. you think was the right decision? Decision one, which was the first call to keep the field as it no, was. I don't, I don't think. Two? I don't think. I think it's a bit of both. I mean, the first thing I'll say is I think I want you to pick one. Um, I liked the I liked how they let it play. To be honest, because I would have hated. I would have hated. This championship to be to be, um, what's the word? To be um decided on a um 
on a safety car. Like I, that would have that would have burnt me more. And looking back at the race, I feel like Mercedes had two options to put new tires on the car. Even not in the first, uh, the second one on the first one would have helped them immensely um, because it's it hasn't been it, it has been who what car has the freshest rubber for like the last eight years like really like the tire the whole tire game in Formula One is has been one of the biggest deciding factors of races for at least probably this whole era and even before that. I mean, and, you, Harry? and I I still think sorry I say I still think that yeah. they. Like it was, they obviously blurred, blurred their um, their rules and stuff. But I feel like if you think about it, like all they wanted to do was give the fans a great ending to the season. I think that I think after the season that we had, well, you know what? Before you go there, H, yeah, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, sitting on the fence, yeah, yeah. Scenario one or scenario two? Yeah, which one do you think was the was the more apt way to resume the race? Oh, it's hard. It's hard, mate. Um, I, 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 again, my my opinion was skewed because of what we could hear over the radio. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I can see why Mercedes made their decision. I can see why Red Bull threw you know threw caution to the wind and pitted Max early on the, on that safety car. I I don't care who won. I'm impartial to both. Um, you know where my allegiances stand in Formula One. The only thing is, Matt, uh, Lewis has had an amazing end to the season. He was awesome during this race and he, he lost it on one lap. You know, uh, that, that's my only thing. Like, you know how I feel about Lewis. He annoys the shit out of me most of the time, but he has been amazing this year. So, but Max has been great too. So it, it doesn't really bother me, really. I'll say, um, I'll say this. I, I, I thought of a good analogy for the end of this race. Mm. I think um, Lewis deserved to win this race. And I think... Verstappen deserved to be champion this season. And I think both those statements can be true at the same time, even though one of them obviously isn't, hasn't sort of been reached. Did did you you hear about the stat that Max has got the most podiums in a season ever? Yeah, but we also had the most races. It's the most races too, he hasn't heard But But it's still strong. Yeah, it's still like the last three or four years has been at least 20, 21 races, except for last year, obviously, because of COVID. Yeah. So the fact that he's got more podiums and, and even then, Lewis had in that Lewis most had, dominant yeah. car like that's yeah. to, to think that also he had two races at Monza and at Silverstone where he probably would have finished on the podium again um it's pretty impressive well, Monza's, Monza's is, is sort of his, his fault, fault as well yeah it is <laughs> I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying it's not his fault I'm just saying that he probably would have got a podium too just, just before we before we move on to that just to um to sound off on on that scenario as well um if there was any drivers in Formula One that are currently racing in F1, whose opinions you value to be, you know, pretty straight down the line uh, and fairly objective, who would those drivers be? Give me those two drivers on the current F1 grid who you would ask a question to and you get a pretty straight answer from. Um, Nando and, and Daniel, probably. Who did you say, sorry? Fernando and Daniel. Fernando and Daniel. Yep. Harley. Um, I would... I would uh, my would be um, Fernando Alonso, yeah. But having said that, I know that I don't know how friendly up he is with Hamilton. So I think whatever he mm-hmm. says could be slightly skewed. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think, yeah, maybe. I think if you were to get two opinions in F1, that would give you the most unbiased but also unfiltered opinion would be Alonso and Vettel. 
because I think they're yeah, at a stage. Yep. I think they're both of them are at a stage in the career where they really don't care about what other people think about them, but also they don't really have any other agendas. Like I think even Ricardo, well, he's a very is. he's very polite in that regard. So if you wanted to get two unfiltered opinions from them too, I listened to Alonso's um, radio message for the whole mm. communication on that last lap mm. between him and his engineer. And firstly, the engineer says to him, we're going to restart the race, but in the position that we're in. And straight away, Alonso says, um, Verstappen needs to be behind Hamilton. Why is he four cars back? Mm. That's the first thing he says to the mm. race engineer. And then... And then he said, this is like unbelievable. Like it's, they're going for the championship. It's unbelievable. And then they say, you know, 30 seconds later, um, you guys need to move so that way it can be Verstappen against Hamilton. And he seems to agree. Yeah, that is what needs to happen for the championship. That, that I just happened to stumble across that on YouTube today. Mm. But this is from someone who, regardless of his past, you know, maybe his past history with this with Hamilton does jade him like that could very well be part of it. But I think he's old enough and man enough these days to, to move past those things. And I've just felt that the way he was talking about it was fairly unbiased. Like he's talking about it on a team radio. It's not like he's got any agenda that he's trying to pull then. And I just thought that was a really interesting dynamic. The second thing is this, like we were saying before, regardless of the decision that Michael Massey made there was going to be half of the f1 world that was going to have an issue with it just based on the polarity of the particular scenario yeah uh, yeah uh, my only issue is the inconsistency with michael massey like this is one race but he's been kind of like this all year um with his decision if making if, if you think about it when you have toto and christian in your ear yeah. every race i feel like the like pressure with, builds. with that yeah, pres- yeah. with that pressure like at the start of the year, you're trying to toe a line, right? Yeah. But um, like I don't and look at look at the NRL. And now this is an odd analogy, right? But as yeah, soon as that. <laughs> as soon as you it's in the Premier League as well. As soon as referees start having um start being influenced more by external factors, whether it be the bunker and they and some of their um, decision-making is taken away, whether it be VIR and some of their decision-making is taken away or any scenario that um, allows them to be questioned while they're doing their job. Yeah. We see that their decision-making goes down. They become less decisive. They become, you know, it, it's a less clear-cut what their decision is going to be. So that's why I said before, we get rid of the communication between the team and the um F1 director, maybe you have a specific delegate who's not the team manager who can do that communication. I think that's what needs to happen because regardless of the power that Michael Massey wields from the director's chair, he's communicating to two of the most successful people in their field in the world. And I wouldn't say that Christian Horner and Toto Wolf as examples are two people that are going to pull any punches or mince their words, if that makes sense. He's, so for the integrity of the racing and for the integrity of you know the, the seat that he's holding, give him the chance to make clear decisions by getting rid of any um, external factors or things that might influence those decisions. Because I think what we have seen, and I, I think you make a good point, Harry, is this year 
I mean, we, we never had an issue with Michael Massey the last two years before this that he's been doing the job. We, you know, there was never a point where we thought, oh, the decisions that he's making were bad in relation know, to... No, his but name, I, really. But I don't yeah, think that's also I mean. we've had the championship battle for it to become an issue as well. If, yeah, that's if you, definitely. Yeah. If you put it this way, right, and, and this is another thing I was thinking about today about this whole situation. Um, this The situation that we had today at the end of the race was because the championship was at stake, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when for the last, I think the way that they've been adjudicating the last couple of races has been with the whole championship picture in play, right? Whereas instead of taking each race on its own merits, nothing gets carried across. Everything's just one race, one race, one race. Like I think we've seen penalties that could have been handed out, not handed out, disqualif- disqualifications that could have been given, not given, both to Hamilton and to Verstappen, um, all for the all for the um, storyline of this championship. Whether that's because they want a cool show for Netflix, I don't know. Um, but like, if, if you think about the how this season has ended, if we knew what was going to happen at the end of this season when Silverstone happened, I'll tell you this. Um, Hamilton would have got a harsher penalty for that race, a hundred percent, right? So the when the way when you adjudicate a se- a, a, um, a championship, thinking about the championship before we get to the end and not just dealing with every race, I think these problems are definitely going to arise. One thing I think now with Michael Massey is everyone's asking for his job, but I think this year, like now, we're gonna if we were to say, yeah, let's put someone else in the job, you're gonna get a new person in the job next year who has who is who is new to the job, you're going to have the same teething problems. And um, I think that the problem isn't really going to fall with who's doing the job. It's just the, like how much like how much pressure is in this job in terms of um, obviously the money that's at play and also the these teams that don't take coming second well. Can I just, can I just challenge you on a little bit of that? Yeah. Firstly, in relation to the decisions that are made from, stewards, not Massey. Yeah, it's it's the stewards that are making decisions that relate to the drivers and the way that they're racing each other. So we can't okay. conflate those two positions. Mm. Michael Massey will um, say that something's being investigated, or if it's being investigated, it will be sent to the stewards. He does not make a decision. He just notes that. So that's the first okay. thing. So we can't blame him for this penalty are or are not handed out during the year. Secondly... Yeah. Up until um, this time now, and I, I agree with the point that you're making, Harry, that the championship has never gone down to a situation like this. That, that's a very valid between driver. Oh, why is my internet unstable? Before yeah. we heard of the communication between team and and um, Massey, there was ne- like I don't think anyone ever thought, oh, that was a bad decision that they made in that particular regard. I think in this particular situation, if the race finished on the safety car, everyone would have felt robbed of, you know, the season that could have been. Yeah. Had the race, had the race, had they have let all the cars go through, we wouldn't have had a last lap race. And what this actually reminds me of was a Bathurst 1000 with one lap to go. There's an, ac- or there's an accident with a couple ups ago and they say, let's do everything we can to get this race finished on the green flag. And you know what? I, the rules were probably bent slightly to, to make it happen, but I don't really think I have an issue with it. 
what they did was they tried to put the two championship drivers in a position to have a last lap dash to the line so that we had a championship that was decided under green running, right? Both teams had the decision being different, could have felt hard done by it, but we had a situation where um, where we got some green running to, to end the race. Now, obviously for Mercedes, they were not in a position to defend. We spoke about the mismanagement that they debatably could have had play the part in, in that particular regard. But at the end of the day, I think that in a situation where he was always going to be criticised for the decision he made or didn't make, the right decision or the rightest decision was made, which was to get the two people fighting for the championship in a situation where they could finish the race under a green flag and, and kind of, you know, put the... And you know what? When he was talking to... Um, to Toto Wolf at the end of the race and Toto was kind of blowing up saying it's not right. He kind of just said, we're here to go motor racing. You know, it's we're motor racing. We're here to go motor racing. You know, let it happen on the track. And I don't know. I don't really do, have an issue with it. Do you, do you think that... that in, in, sorry, before you, before you ask this next question. And I yeah. also really feel sorry for Hamilton, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, so do I. He, I do. He I deserved do. to win the race. And I think that the, 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 you said that he deserved to win the race, but Hamilton does that but Verstappen deserved to win the championship. Well, I think it's debatable after the run of form that he's had to finish the season. I think it's debatable that he also deserved to close out. The, the reality not, is he it's did. Not, it's not debatable think, because he's, he, he's one thing people always forget. The start of championships are very important. And everyone always thinks, oh, I'll, like, I'll take a couple of days to warm up, a couple of games to warm up, and then halfway through the season, we put the gas down and then we have a strong finish to the season. But what we see in all professional sport now is that there's no warm-up period anymore. You have to be ready from the get-go. And he started the season was was awesome. And I think that you can't forget that just because it was they were tied. They were tied. They were tied going into the it wasn't like Ham Verstappen had a lead going into that last race. So a tie. Hamilton won the first race. Yeah, I'm sorry the after like there was a Hamilton's um, he was 33 points down at the time. Yeah, That's, but like his, yeah. his renaissance in the last four or five races, there was also a time of Verstappen doing that in the season as well. Like we yeah, can't just I guess, forget that yeah. that part was just at a different time. That's, of why the season. I said, that's why I said debatably, because obviously the debate can be made for both of them to win the championship. But I think that debatably, it, you know, we, could, we can very easily be making the case for Hamilton to win the championship. And, and I know that in hindsight, it's easy to say, but just on the merit of the driver and the car on the day, you know, that championship really was Hamilton's and Mercedes. It and was. I'm, the, I'm, they were I'm, unlucky not to have it, and they made a few mistakes that obviously cost them as well. But if we were to just, you know... And you know what? Not always the best team wins on the day. That's the other I thing. Think, but I think when the dust settles... But it's, yeah. I think when the dust settles, Mercedes will look at themselves and... And obviously, hindsight hindsight is is twenty twenty. But when the dust does settle, I think they'll look at it and 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 learn from the fact that yeah, you know what? Probably next time, even if we decide not to, we probably should have a harder think about taking that fresh rubber. I th- like I think back themselves yeah. and their driver to to be able to because make the difference. Here's, the other thing other, is like, right? would, you, would you not? Would you not think that they would do like being? They would definitely try and get that last lap in no matter what yeah i agree moving on from that though why don't we talk about honda for a little bit uh, what, why are they leaving that's what, what we need to talk about <laughs> what 
regardless of whether they're leaving or not, like I think that is set in stone now. But what a redemption story. They came into the turbid height, the turbo hybrid era with a lot of fanfare. You know, this is going to, you know, McLaren Honda partnership is, you know, the m- partnership of Anton Center that it's going to be huge, you know, um, whatever it might be. Absolutely blows up in their face. Um, you know, through a marriage of desperation, they, they make convenience. You know, they, convenience, but it's more than convenience, it's desperate as well. They make a move to Red Bull Racing, and you know, in the last three years, have absolutely turned it around to the point where they've won a world championship. In no, no one would have with, saw, seen that coming a couple of years ago. With no disrespect to with with no disrespect meant to be aimed at McLaren, I think when um, when those two teams came together, uh, McLaren and Honda, I think McLaren weren't in a dis, in a position to. Um, like, like, obviously, we all know the stories of how they would blame the engine for, for everything. And then when they got the new engine, their car was still a dog. Um, and then at the same time, the engine wasn't up to snuff. So I think they both came in with subpar um, sort of Package. products. Yeah. And I think probably the, the best thing for them was they went to a team that we, that we know builds good cars. Mm. And it took a bit of time to get the engine to a place where it could compete but if you want to know one thing that Red Bull's going to give them is that they're going to give them the correct feedback on how to um, address the issues. Yeah, and I think seeing them now continue for Red Bull still and move people around to sort of keep working on the engine deal because I heard, um, I think it was Martin Brundle saying, yeah, they're going, but um, it's Honda. They'll probably be back in a couple of years back in that Red Bull and they'll just pick up those pieces and keep going. Um I think, yeah, that move was probably the smartest thing for them. Yeah, I think um, from what I've heard, it was the tail end of the Ron Dennis era. um, And Ron wanted Honda to fit their engine into their existing chassis. There was no collaboration of getting the engine mated to the chassis. So then they've obviously there's been issues with with the car and everything. And then they've moved to Red Bull, who's then worked collaboratively with Honda to get it working seamlessly. And I think even the first year that they moved from Renault to Honda, um, we saw a massive upturn in performance. And that was when McLaren went from Honda to Renault. So um, a huge upturn. And I think it it is that they were working together kind of thing to to get it working. um, Yeah, I think you made a really good point. So obviously because McLaren's close to my heart i'm mm. being fairly invested in the whole process and um mclaren thought they had a, a good car designed which obviously wasn't the case and it had that kind of i think it was called a zero concept you know back of the car where they're trying to get everything as tightly packed into the back mm. of the car as possible and um obviously um the honda did fit that particular geometry so they kind of told honda you need to make it fit in this particular space Otherwise, it's not going to work in our car. And Honda had to kind of build the whole engine around that particular scenario. And as soon as they're given the freedom to just build a good engine as opposed to build a good engine within this particular area, like we talk about them going did to not, Red Bull. And they, did they, they not they, rebuild it and redesign the whole engine after the first year, like from the ground up? Because yeah, McLaren's... Yeah. But look, the point I'm trying to make we talk about how how bad they were under McLaren and they were, but very quickly under Red Bull, 
the car was already shot, the engine was already showing promise. So it wasn't like it was three years of development. Within half a year with Toro Rosso, that engine was showing, you know, real signs of development. So I think when we talk about the McLaren Honda era, I think realistically, and if we're being objective about it, the probably the bigger issue in that particular marriage was the McLaren side. Well, I think, I and think that, we, we know thing, about one thing we forget as well at the same time. So when, when they were building that V6 turbo, a Honda was, should I say, they were also building their super GT V6 turbo engine sort of, um, not exactly the same. It's sort of been like the same tandem. design. Yeah. In tandem. And both engines had this, had, um, <laughs> very similar shortcomings as well in terms of overheating and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame it all on McLaren and I wouldn't blame it all on Honda. I think it was they both brought subpar stuff to the to the table. And like I said before, I think when they moved to Red Bull, even going to Toro Rosso, you would definitely have expected someone from Red Bull being there saying, all right, these are the problems, like this is what we need to iron out and probably being more accommodating with it because – they knew that uh, Red Bull knew that it was also their their sort of only shot to get their like a uh, engine manufacturer to work for them. Like that's that was the long and short of it as well. Like we have, we have to remember that the the Renault Red Bull relationship got pretty toxic at the end of that as well. To be honest, mm-hmm. I mean I think the um the Cyril versus um Horner war was just as as spicy as uh, Horner now with Toto Wolf probably even worse. Yeah, they hated each other, eh? Oh my gosh, it was so funny. Like funny but bad. Boys. Yeah. Yo. This pod's getting a little bit long in the tooth. So yeah. let's push on to the power rankings yep. for um, this week. And that's going to get posted up on the socials. Can we quickly just say congrats yeah. to um Ferrari too? Yeah, third uh, in the uh, championship. I'm a, I'm a McLaren man, but you know, their second half of the season was outstanding. Yep. And, Super and, consistent. And Carlos Saints got another podium to finish the season yeah that's this is probably a conversation for another day but Mm. i think that in the second half of the season he has far outperformed charles leclerc i think we save it for another pod we have another f1 pod in a couple weeks where we don't talk about red bull we don't talk about uh, mercedes (laughs) and we talk about everyone Everyone else else. yeah i think we i think we owe it to all of them and i also think like getting into that conversation is probably going to be just as interesting Mm. Um, particularly with the Hoped convergence of the midfield next year even more. We'll see. What yeah, I, 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 like just when you said about Carlos, like who would have thought at the start of this year that he would be um, the top driver in Ferrari, and then also the top driver of the rest. Everyone thought he was going to get smoked, eh? I didn't think he was going to get smoked. Oh yeah, I didn't I, think that. I, I think no, I but people like there was expect him to be like that strong was, that quick. There was a very strong narrative. That the number two driver for the team. And he yeah, kind was. of, like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like they were saying you're going to come in and you can, you know, battle for your place. It's like pretty much like Charles is our young driver. We've invested everything in him. Mm. And he kind but, of understood that as well. I don't and think just, that's going to be from now on though. No, he's, I think if anything, what we've seen over the last two years with him fighting against Norris and how strong Norris has looked against Ricardo, and then him going up against Leclerc and also him against we forget that he was pretty good against Verstappen too. He was good um, against Verstappen. He was good in the Renault. He was good in the McLaren. He was good in the Ferrari. 
like I like how we talk about these drivers taking time to get used to cars. He just jumps into every he, car and he's like, "Good, he's, good, he's good, made, good." He's made he's made it hard for Ricardo to be honest with you because Ricardo's taken a little bit more time to adapt to that McLaren. But we digress. That's definitely going to be a conversation for when I get back from Marimbula. Um, <laughs> also, just as well, we're going to talk about um, congratulations to young um, Sonoda. He had a mm. he had an awesome race. Like I was very happy for him. Yep. Yeah. He's he loves the desert. I think. <laughs> I think he's just built a little bit of confidence because at the start of the year he seemed pretty quick, and That's then Bahrain desert kept, kept. Yeah. True. True. He must like the dust. Yeah. Um, but you know, during the year he lost his confidence. If he, he, I don't know if you were listening to the post race interviews today with Will. Yeah, Bucks, I did. I heard him. He, yeah. He said as much. He said during the year I just lost all my confidence with the car, and it's been a you know a long way just to build it back up. So that was really good for him. But let's move into my final power rankings for the year. And this is obviously taking the last couple of races into consideration. So I've still got Lewis number one. I don't think we can dispute that. Max number two. Sergio yeah. third. Carlos fourth. Lando fifth. Um, Alonso sixth. Gasly seventh. Botas eighth. Ocon ninth and Leclerc tenth. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably, I probably wouldn't have Lando. Yeah, that or, was a bit. Or Fernando is yeah. high. Yeah, Lando, Lando was an interesting one for me because I feel like he's raced well recently, but he's just like he had two slow punches Half in the last yeah. two races. That you know he was in the top five in both races, and that kind of affected him. So I tried to. Yeah. Take that out of it. Alonso probably not, but in saying that, he got a top ten again today. Got top ten. He's had a top four. Yeah, um, a few cars pitted though for the safety. Yeah, like Daniel did, Daniel pitted a few cars pitted, and then they, they didn't get a chance to do anything. The Renault, the, the, the Renault has like people were saying that it was circuit specific a couple of weeks ago when when they did so well. But I think as a whole, over the last four or five races, that Renault yeah. package seems to be a lot more competitive. I'm hoping they're, they're 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 closer to McLaren and Ferrari be, next year. It could be mm. um, them, and it also could be a bit of like team cohesion as well. Like mm. first first year with um, Bravio as like as their team leader. Rubio, um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully might, for Piastri, they'll be they'll be good for him in two years' time. That's we forgot to talk about him. Congratulations, F2 world no. champion, Australian have, F2 world champion. We hate Aussies. We hate giving Aussies <laughs> any credit. No way. <laughs> the boy is a machine. You know he's won three championships in a row. Yep, Formula yeah. Renault was it? Um, Formula whatever, Three and Euro, then Formula, Formula Two. Euro Cup, whatever. And he hasn't yeah. got a and he hasn't got a seat for next year. It's but <laughs> me I, this. I do think rather than going to Alpha, he's in a better spot long term. Yeah. yeah, he is. He, yeah. he probably is. But I, I also I don't think you can just um, like you would say. Would you he's say ready that for the seat. George Russell going to Williams wasn't a good idea? Like we've definitely. Mm. Like just getting seat time is is, is massive still. Mm. I th- I think they I think it's in Alpine's best inf- interest to get him some kind of seat time next year. Get him an L- LMP car. Getting him in, getting him into anything, just I've, to continue driving is is going to be huge for them. I think. Mm. I've heard um, rumblings he might be partaking in some S five thousand. Now don't quote me on that, but I've heard some rumblings. These rumblings. Yeah, uh, there was a. I was listening to a couple of pods today. Um, apparently, they're looking at around when they're here for the um the Melbourne race. Yeah, yep. So he might partake in a few of those just to keep him 
match where fit, did, I guess. Where did you hear these? Where did you hear these from? Did you imagine him in S five thousand? I can imagine him smoking everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but where did you hear also these rumblings? Also, brother? W W our sources are, are, are private, my friend. But, this, um, we've been in the podcast game for three months, and we've already got private. <laughs> East, you um, know, could you see him? Yeah, scoops. Could you see him in WEC with the Alpine? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I think I think that that would actually be like. Uh, do they have the LMP cars still just going to be the bastard ice car next year, right? Yeah, it's going to be grandfathered again. Yeah, just get get him into that. Like, get him just racing at high speed. I think this might sound odd, but I think the fact that he's racing in the top category against slower cars might actually help him develop some level cars. of well, faster cars, but also he's moving through the field of LMP2s and GT cars as well. So it might just build his overall. I don't There's know. No doubt, it can't help his race craft. Yeah, but it's like a. Diff- it's obviously a different, a totally different sport. I mean, I think- it didn't. It didn't hurt Hul- um, Hulkenberg's rep at all to do a mm. few races. I think get him or into one super, race. super formula. I, I think he's just going to um do a whole heap of FP ones. To you be and honest, your, you and your super formula, mate. <laughs> get him into super formula. I think he needs to do a season of just being with the team at every yeah. race weekend, no matter what. Test driver, be with the team, get used to the media stuff. Do the simulation stuff. Do a few free practices. Learn off a two-time world champion. Yeah, Mostly, sit with the world champion. Super Formula doesn't normally fall on the same weekend as F1 anyway. I think there might have been one, hmm. one round where there's crossover, and normally they don't do it anyway unless they're fighting for the championship. But I mean, it was good for Ga- Gasly went there and was really competitive in Super mm-hmm. Formula. He was came into Toro Rosso and was smoking it. Van Dorn. Me. I don't know. I don't know how how much we, credence we can give to his McLaren career, but he won everything until he went to a Formula One, and in Super Formula as well, he was, you know, won a race, was really competitive too. So I don't, I don't see how it can be any worse. He's racing against men in a in a faster car, a heavier car. Um, I don't know how it doesn't doesn't benefit him, but regardless, the guy's an absolute machine. Um, and you know, I can't wait to see him in Formula One. I really, I really, you know, think it's um, it's his time. It's Australia's time to get a young bit of fresh meat into the championship. All right, hey, what's your question, brother? Um, I got asked today, and I have an answer to this, and I'll, I'll say it after you guys answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, if Daniel was still at Red Bull, would he have been in line for a world championship with Verstappen there? Yep. No. no, I think we saw when he was there that Verstappen was the golden child. And there's no, there's no, no I think in the more you think about it, the more you realize that, yeah, you know what, that's probably the right move. If you think of it objectively, he was younger and he was still competing at the same level. I do think the one thing that um, him leaving Red Bull, though, hurt was that their um, constructors' aspirations, like they've been on this turntable of, I wouldn't say subpar, but definitely drivers who are learning on the job and he would have definitely taken that out. But um, I don't know. I mean, like, it's not, let's not pretend that Red Bull haven't shown favoritism before. I mean, Vettel was the favorite until Danny Rick took over him. And then Danny Rick was the favorite until um, Max came and got like Max won a race before him. And um, he showed pretty much everything that you would expect a future champion to show. At like, um, what, 18? <laughs> I, I, we've spoken about this before. 
I think Danny Rick was robbed of a championship just because of how dominant Mercedes were when he was at his the peak of his powers. I think he still has the ability to win a championship, but he's only going to win a championship in the situation where he's got the best car and a clearly defined number two driver, if that makes sense. I don't think he's got the 10 tenths anymore to go up against a young and hungry I, it pains me to say it, but I don't I think, think he's got. Yeah, I, so do I. I honestly don't think that he's got what it takes to go up against and consistently beat the young people in this in races in the sport that have. I think that's wrong. Who haven't proved anything in there? Because, like, regardless of, let me hear me out. Regardless of what he's doing, I don't know. I feel like we're at the point now. Even when we listen to Daniel talk. He's thinking about other things. He's talking about being content, you know, not winning a championship anymore and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I feel like he's lost the edge that he had when he was kind of young and hungry and he's kind of got a little bit, you know, he's he knows his place in the sport. It doesn't doesn't mean he's not quick, but I don't know if he's got the 10 tenths anymore. I think every racer did. other than drive, the drivers in Mercedes for the last eight years have resigned to themselves to the fact that they're not winning a championship. Until this year, but he like, really, he, he really should be beating Lando Norris if he's as good as but, we think. But say he's, he's always. But he, here's the thing: Lando has built that car. He's been with that car for the whole time it's been it's been developed. Yeah, and but then we literally got, just and, spoke and about. Also, and also, he's never had another car to sort of build up his the way he drives. Like Daniel um, learned how to drive in that Red Bull for years. And then, like, you have to relearn. Like, if the car doesn't react the same way, you have to relearn how you drive that car. And he's all he spoke about that this year as well. Like, he had to relearn the way he drove because that McLaren doesn't suit the way he used to drive the Red Bull. I get that, and I don't. I I would I not be surprised the, next year I, if, on equal footing with brand new cars, he's the best yeah. driver at McLaren. Not I even, see the, not, I, even I would, yeah. not even thing. I see the value in that argument, but then we just spoke about Carlos Sainz jumping. From between, yeah, but he might be more malleable three cars in the way in he drives. four years, and he hasn't, he hasn't skipped a beat. Well, you could say more malleable, but in more malleable, yes, that might be right. But also, a more versatile driver and a better driver might be another way of saying more malleable. Yeah, but we also say the best drivers are the ones that drive a car on the edge. And if this car can't go to the edge of where Daniel needs it, then that's where he's losing time. But, but I, yeah, I suppose my my question. The original question: I don't think Max wins the championship if Daniel's still there. I don't really? think Daniel. I don't think Daniel wins. I think they're taking too many points off each other. Yeah, that's. Hmm. that's I could. I could. I could see I like that, that as that well. Argument. That's interesting. I, I, like I think. That. I think they're both battling each other, as we saw in 2018, where you know Baku happened and all these other issues happened. Um, I think two strong-headed drivers. Daniel, that's his car. He built it from 2014 or whenever it was. I'm not saying that Daniel outperforms Max, but I'm saying he takes too many points off Max mm. to win. I like that argument. Mm. But I also, I don't know. I, I wouldn't I say was, that I think, Sergio I think, Perez is a slug. I think, Yeah, but he's um, played the number too well. I think, I think you're thinking that Daniel being in that car all these years, he's been away compared to Sergio being it for one year. Getting the same results, I think, is, is, a, is a bit ludicrous. I mean, if, if 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 Daniel's been in that car for this whole time, I reckon at uh, at least he's got about five or six or seven more race wins at least. Yeah. I like that argument, Harry. That's mm. a good one. That's very thought well thought out, Harry. I've got to say. 
Yeah, I'll, no, come, uh, up, I'll uh, come up with the good sometimes, boys. No, and I've got, to say, I've got to say as well, Amph, this whole thing that, that Lando is so much better than Danny Rick, I think you've got to jump off that horse as well. I don't. Like, I re- hey, I really the do. point I'm trying to make is I don't think <laughs> I don't think Lando's as good. I don't think Lando's that good. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like, I sorry, I think he's good. I don't think he's a world beater. You think Lando's that, better than Russell? No. Do you think Lando's better? I don't than think Lando's Charles? better than Saints. Do you think he's better than Charles? No. You reckon no, they're I all don't. better than Danny Rick? No, I think the fact that he's struggling against Lando when there's better drivers out there. I don't think he's struggling. I think they've both been struggling together. Can I also say, I think Danny's gone in this year playing the team game to set his, his yeah. focus as more than likely been on 2022. But I think if, everyone if you, this year has been on 2022 except the Mercedes. Go ahead. I, I think if you don't have the pace, like it's a lot easier to play the team game. NBA. Yeah, but also he's got the only race win, so you know. We'll... Yeah, so... yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And also, remember he's building a, a, a totally new rapport with all these new engineers. Where Lando's been there for three years, knows everyone on a first name basis. He, he can I, say he can say something. Like... His first uh, year Renault was shit too. Yeah, I get that. But then oh, that, that's why I keep coming back to the to the Saints comparison because you know one thing I'll give. I don't want to like are we. Going over time, I don't want to start. No, I love it. I love it. But but the thing that I love about Carlos, yeah, (laughs) and he shook me like a dog. Um, (laughs) The thing I love about Carlos Sainz, and I don't know how many other drivers go to his level, is when he goes to the new team, he pretty much lives at the factory. Yeah, he lives at the factory. He works with the with the designers and the engineers in a way that I've never like a lot of other. You know, they're playing golf and doing their own off-season stuff. He just works. And I don't know, it seems like it's paying dividends for him because he really moved into McLaren. He had a pretty difficult start to the first half of his season at McLaren with reliability issues and kind of pushed back. And I think him and Lando finished you know, pretty much tie-on points. And then the second season was very much of the same thing. He dropped 39 points due to reliability issues again. Um I don't know. I think the last three years and obviously the move to Ferrari now, um, I don't know. I still think he hasn't got the, the true recognition that he deserves. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I feel like when he was at Tuarosso, Max had all the shine and he wasn't really that far off at all. Like you can, you can say like oh, it was to do with racing circumstances that like where, where it went. And then when he was at, um, he went to Renault and he was in a uh, sub-car car and then he went to uh, McLaren, had what you were saying, reliability issues. But I think... It was good at McLaren, but give him credit. It was good at McLaren. Yeah, got, I mean, like he's never, been schooled, he's never been schooled by his teammate ever. And I think in terms of, we love saying the eye test, like when you look at the body of work he's done, like when, when it's on, he's, he makes He he's makes moves on. and he's good in the rain. And those I are the will two. say determining factors for a good driver i find this is the first year where i've sat up and thought you know what carlos given the right car world champion i think we were carlos, having we were having think... this debate last year harry remember mm. when, yeah i was and, like and, nah. and you and you were not sold and i was i was selling it nah. to you were trying to sell you that all year yeah. and you yeah. didn't want a bar of it and i think this mm. year now that he's in a different car and he's really taken it to leclerc i don't know i feel like you're, you're coming on board to my 
to that idea. I think yeah, because Carlos he was is... beating Lando, but now that he's beating a race winner, he's beating someone who we've all said is probably one of the best three or four on the grid. Mm-hmm. You sit up and you go, holy, holy shit, this guy, he's as good as what... Leclerc you know. is at least. And he's yeah. only been there for a year. Yeah, correct. I think, I think he suffered from the thing, uh, from the problem that when he came in, ever, like when he was coming up through the ranks, it was like, oh, he's getting there because he's in the best teams because his dad is mm. Carlos Sainz. And then when he got into... um. Formula One, it's like, oh, he's only here because his dad is Carlos Sainz for getting that. Max Verstappen's dad was an F1 driver, but he didn't probably. They're both sponsored by Red Bull. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and then uh, him leaving Red Bull, probably in hindsight, is probably the best thing for him because mm. he's sort of charted his own path, hasn't had to deal with the like the in a Red Bull like cesspool of drivers getting spun in and out. Mm. Um, yeah. Pierre Gasly, take notice, my friend. I was going to say that. That's probably yeah, that's think, that's what yeah. Pierre Gasly needs to do. Um, you know what? As well, I think Pierre understands that as well because I think he's, he's got nowhere sitting, to go, but poor bastard. Thinking, do I want to go back to the main team and not perform for half a year yeah. because it's a it's a max built car and then get spat out again? Or do I just try and get to I, I don't know. Where's he going to go? That's the thing. I think it's him and um, him and Piastri at Alpine in twenty twenty three. That's what I was going to say. Maybe as so. if they don't want another French driver who's better than Ocon because he's a wet blanket. With he, also won, he also won a race. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't Ocon. count. I don't that mind Ocon. Eh? He's come. He's come. He's come. I think from a good second half of the year. Eh? He's come from nothing. You know what, boys? We could we could shoot this all night. Oh, so good. We could shoot it all night, but I think I think for tonight we'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to leave you with I'm going to leave you with a, with a thought to ponder as we close thought. this podcast. All right. Because this has been my pet peeve all, all year. Do you think next year, and don't answer it now, but do you think next year when we have all these cars that have got all this downforce built underneath them instead of on top of them, drivers are going to heed more the um, the natural sort of barriers of the track and not start bouncing over curbs and cutting curb with reckless abandon? Don't talk about it now. Have a think about it for the next two, three weeks. And when we come back next year, let's have a how, have a point. How how that is the way that you want to finish this podcast? Why? <laughs> because it, we haven't. It's it's literally come so far. You know, we, we will ponder it. We'll ponder it. Ponder We're it. not going to discuss it now. But for everyone listening, thanks again. Please like and subscribe on our socials. Follow us. Whatever it is that you got to do, spread the word. Hopefully by next year we'll have a few t-shirts out to show you. So they're kind of in the works now. Um, have a podcast hopefully in the next fortnight just to review the review the race. And we've got a few fun questions that hopefully should bring about a bit of banter now that the season's over. But gents, thanks again. What an awesome season of Formula One that we've had. And the beauty is because it's so late in December, we've only got a few short months before we get testing in, in Barcelona. So thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night. Thanks, if man. you're listening, uh, do some research on ground effect cars because uh, Joey's going to do a deep dive into it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I love how that's the way you wanted to end tonight, Joe. <laughs> Completely out of nowhere. All right, boys. Have a good one. Thanks, See you, man. boys. See ya.